Basketball is, is, is like poetry in motion. Just coming down the court, you got a defender in your way, you, you take him to the left, you take him back to the right, and he's falling back, and you just, Jay, right in his face. And then you look at him, and then you say, what? It has been an amazing honor to coach in the Kale Center for the last 10 years. Just how goddamn bad can it get? This is by far the worst team that has ever sat in this locker room. Shot clock turned up. Somehow, someway, we are already at the Sweet 16. Tyler, it felt like last week that the season was started and we were really just hoping we could get an NCAA tournament in, and now we're on to the Sweet 16. Uh, how did that happen so fast? Can I just say, first of all, I fucking love this tournament. <laughs> God, it's so good to have March Madness back. Pure yeah. mayhem. I didn't get the chance to – what I missed most, I think, from the first weekend was the chance to go to a sports book or go to a bar and watch a bunch of games at once with a bunch of different people. Uh, and that's just not the world we live in right now. But I did have a chance to essentially veg out for the entire weekend at home, running my big green egg in the backyard, barbecuing everything from smoked chicken wings to – brisket, the whole deal, and watch just a metric fuck ton of basketball. And that could be nice. I'm jealous. But here I was at work for far too much of it. However, I got to watch some games and gotta love it. So let's let's take a look back at the weekend that was really quickly. Uh because we're gonna so basically to give people an idea about what we're talking about today, we're gonna Pick some of our favorite performances uh, from the first two rounds. Uh, any kind of lingering thoughts and impressions uh, before we kind of get into what what is our main topics topic today, which is discussing the way storylines formulate, uh, pardon me, form around NCAA tournament performances by conferences. <laughs> and as we all know, like this is a Pac-12 tournament now officially. Uh, the Pac-12 will have at least one team in the Elite Eight, four teams in the Sweet 16, five teams in the round of 32, and five teams uh, in the dance total. So juxtaposing that with the performances from the Big Ten and the Big 12 in particular, we're going to look at all that and kind of discuss, like, A, what it means, B, is it fair or not, and C, whatever the else the hell we want to do. So let's, uh, let's get to it. Tyler, if you had to pick one player, one guy that is the storyline of this tournament, maybe it's the star of the tournament, maybe it's the darling of the tournament, whatever it is, whoever it is, who are you going with? Max A. Smith. Yeah. Gotta be. Um, I feel like, cause this tournament is big for those type of players, right? I mean, guys from lower conferences that don't get much hype or, you know, recognition throughout the year. You know, he's the leading scorer in college basketball, and I would bet not a single person or pretty damn close to it knew who he was leading up to the tournament. Um, 
you know, those are big. Those are big for those kind of players. Um, he's going to start getting some recognition for the next level now because of this. Um, they make a run, you know, some wild ass upsets. And uh, those are the things that people remember because, you know, Oral Roberts is not supposed to be here, things like that. I like it. I like it. In fact, so many people didn't know who he was that a lot of people on TV still can't pronounce his name right, which is always good, which is always a good omen for how the coverage is going for the tournament. Hey, sidetrack, are you – I can't imagine that you are super happy, generally speaking, about the way this tournament is covered with so many NBA guys coming into play. No, it's horrible. I mean, let's be fair. Those guys are also horrible covering the NBA at this point. Like that show in particular has fallen off the rails in recent years. Um, But yeah, you know, Kenny Smith cutting into halftime with Colorado making a lot of tough three pointers, all guarded shots. Like, did you even watch the game? They were it was practice ball out there. Georgetown didn't even, you know, there was no, no defense, nothing. And they don't know the players. They don't know the teams. They don't know the coaches. Like, it's all box score watching is all I would describe it as, right? Like you're just trying to pull something from a box score that some producer told you to discuss and you're pulling shit out of your head because obviously these guys know basketball. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were NBA players. They've been around the game their whole life. But if you don't watch college basketball, why are you covering the event? My player of the first weekend is none other than Cameron Crutwig of Loyola Chicago. Uh, This guy is – awesome in every way if i was five inches taller in college and i was you know heavier than i was when i was in high school certainly that could have been me man uh he gives me dreams of what could have been and he is the way he was able to affect that game against illinois was just utterly masterful um there's a reason why he was you know he's been a four-year impact player at Loyola Chicago he was there during their final run uh, pardon me final four run and his impact honestly makes me zoom out a little bit and say that this first weekend was really a coach's weekend like this was a weekend that reminded us not just of who some of the best coaches in America are but like Look at some of the names that we have in the Sweet 16, all right? We've got Juwan Howard at Michigan, Mick Cronin at UCLA, Leonard Hamilton, right? Uh, I mean, God, Jim Beheim, Syracuse, like uh, Port Mosier, Loyola, like all these coaches. And it is a true, like, coaches tournament at this point. You didn't and, even say Scott Drew or Mark Few either, which are, like, obviously right. those that have to be included as well. Oh, no doubt about it. And it's just to say, like, the depth of either big-name coaches or also, like, rising stars in the business that people have recognized are kind of rising stars before. Like, that's really amazing to see. Like, Eric Musselman taking Arkansas here. That's not just a story because Arkansas hasn't been to the Sweet 16 in, like, 25 years. But it's also a story because it's Eric Musselman, right? And it's not just that... Villanova's in the Sweet 16 again, but it's that Jay Wright is doing it with a depleted roster and all these things. So that's kind of what stood out to me about the first weekend was that it's really a coach's showcase at this point. I mean, you're definitely not wrong. Uh, I think what stands out to me is that we talk a lot about what type of basketball teams win 
tournament settings and you look around at the remaining teams and guess what? They really fit the bill. Lots of length and, and, you know, athleticism on a lot of these teams. You look at USC, even Loyola Chicago has a lot of length and athleticism. I think people are surprised by that, but that's their strength. Um, Florida State, Baylor, Gonzaga, you know, a lot of these teams around the country that are Arkansas, who you mentioned as well. I mean, all guys who have a lot of switchable wings, UCLA. I mean, there's so many of them remaining in the tournament. Like that's what wins you basketball games. You have to be able to win multiple ways and you have to have an advantage on your opponent more often than not at any key position on the court. If you had to pick a game that was the most aesthetically pleasing to watch, the most exciting, whatever it is, in the first round, we'll start with the first round because I have a feeling we'll probably both be on the same page for the round of 32. But the round of 64, what was your best game? Man, there are some good ones for sure. Uh, I'll start off by saying that I I miss Oregon VCU. I thought that was going to be – a phenomenally interesting game. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the fact that VCU was disqualified from the tournament. Yeah. That really sucks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess this is a lame answer, but it's got to be Colorado-Georgetown just because of what it meant to us. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, besides that, all the 8-9 matchups were really good. All of them. Um, you can take your pick from who or what it was, but, I mean – any of those I think would be up there. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, Loyola, Chicago, Georgia tech. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. No, I'm going to do it. Oral Roberts, Ohio state. <laughs> it, obviously like the story of the first round was overtime, like just game after game after game going into overtime and Ohio state Oral Roberts was just like one big moment after another. And I think obviously when you have a two seed and a 15 seed, the stakes are just so much higher for the two seed and the 15 seed can really start to feel it as well. You know, the first half of that game in that kind of matchup, the 15 seed has zero pressure. They just, you know, they're just going out there and compete and have fun as the game ends and you're still in it or you're winning, you know, you can tighten up really fast. And so to see the way that they were able to pull that game off and how Asmus was just completely unguardable was fun to watch. I forgot one that I definitely should have said. Creighton UCSB was an awesome mm. game. The uh, finish in particular. Yeah. Uh, back, back and forth battle. Obviously, Creighton found a way to grind it out and get themselves to the next round. But, yeah, that one was fun. Second round, I thought we were really spoiled with some fun games. Um, in in terms of fun, not, maybe not style of play always, uh, but a couple, like my number one pick is obviously going to be Oregon-Iowa, just like all the points. The, that first half was as much fun as you will have watching college basketball teams play offense. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a little more offense throughout that round for sure. Um, I really enjoyed watching what USC did to Kansas. I know Kansas is depleted, but like that was kind of a state, a big fuck you game, you know, to the rest of the country. Um, You know, the result wasn't exciting for sure, but um, actually Baylor, Wisconsin was probably a little bit better than I would have expected. Um, Wisconsin, I crushed all year. They were one of the most disappointing teams in the country. 
Um, surprising, honestly, I know they're already out of the tournament, but a much better showing than I think people would have expected from them the way that they played down the stretch. Um, Arkansas, Texas Tech also was a pretty phenomenal game. That's one I was going to mention was that uh, that game obviously comes down to the wire. Uh, I think it should also be noted that Loyola Chicago, Illinois was a joy to watch because of Loyola Chicago, because the way that the Ramblers executed. Like yeah. that was a clinic offensively. They got every look that they wanted. They didn't, you know, they didn't always make it, but they got every look they wanted. The one thing that disappointed me about that game was the fact that I would assume it completely no showed. He threw up a big old stinker for his final game. And we obviously saw that last night with Colorado and McKinley Wright, but it's really tough to watch excellent players in college go out playing so poorly. Like if, if they go out, you want them to go out swinging, right? Like hitting mm-hmm. big shots, trying to carry their team. And unfortunately, as often as that happens, <laughs> you also get what you got from Iowa and McKinley, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does hurt when you're playing elite defenses, which both of those guys were as well. Um, I think the matchup for McKinley was a far, far more difficult than the one for Io was, but still both two excellent defensive teams that you're going against. I was just going to throw out a couple more games at the end. Uh, Rutgers, Houston and uh, mm. Syracuse, West Virginia were also both a lot of fun. Um, Syracuse annoys me. Uh, there's really no other way to say it. Like they're so average every year and they always make a run in the tournament because no one knows how to play his own defense, which that's what I, I was going to say. It doesn't we make sense. Was, we knew this was coming, unfortunately. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Like how I, you've played enough basketball in your life that you should not get stone cold dead every time you see a zone. And yet, and yet. Uh, so we've got Gonzaga Creighton, uh, USC versus Oregon, Michigan versus Florida State, UCLA versus Bama, Houston versus Syracuse, Oregon State versus Loyola Chicago. Oh, Roberts versus Arkansas and Villanova versus Baylor. I want to start just really quick looking at the three number one seeds that we have left. I mean, if you, which one of these do you think are in the most trouble this round? And I think we're both going to agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you say anything other than Michigan, I don't, I don't know how you can make that argument. Um, Florida state is going to win that game. I think um, they, you know, Michigan matches up solidly against them too like they have those guys i'm not sure if isaiah livers is going to play or what his status is but they need him to even have a pretty good shot in my opinion um the other two like baylor villanova would have been an awesome game if both teams were healthy you know like that would have been a ton of fun i don't really see how villanova is going to be able to get that done short you know like Baylor has had a little bit of a stretch where they didn't look as good but that's a better team than Villanova like there's just no other way to slice it in my opinion that would be a pretty big upset for me um Gonzaga Creighton I feel the same way kind of but Creighton Creighton at 100% capacity when their horsepower is maxed out is pretty damn special yeah um but that doesn't happen that often um, so if they play perfect basketball, could that be a really, really exciting game? Yes, it could. But I think more likely is that they're going to, they're going to try to speed up Gonzaga, which is a mistake. And they're going to end up getting run out of the gym, give up probably 90 points. Here's the more interesting question, I guess. 
out of Houston and Bama, who's in the most danger here? Well, <laughs> from a matchup perspective, it's probably Bama, I guess. Um, but Bama's better than Houston. Let me make that very clear. I just think UCLA presents some opportunities to make life difficult for Alabama. Um, Houston has a better overall matchup, I think. Like they, I don't think Houston will really struggle with his zone. I guess who knows? I mean, who knows? Syracuse makes everybody look human, I guess. But I would be more concerned about Bama, I think. Yeah, my thing about the Alabama matchup is that UCLA and Maryland are actually somewhat similar in the fact that they're both a little undersized. Uh, they neither of which have a ton of depth on the bench. And the one thing that UCLA has that uh, Maryland doesn't is Johnny Juzang, who is yeah. playing at as high of a level as anybody in this tournament. He has turned himself into an elite shooter. And not just like a catch and shoot when he's open, like he can hit shots from all three levels, contested, uncontested, off the catch, off the dribble, really quick release. He's the kind of guy who could give Bama some problems in a way that Maryland just didn't have the horses to play with them. And Maryland tried to speed it up, which Mick Cronin will not. And Maryland just played right into Bama's hands. Right. Yeah. I mean, Bama can beat you a lot of ways. Like I think to me, I think I said that they were my third of, if I had to pick three teams to win the tournament, Bama would have been third overall for me. So obviously I like them quite a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes you're just punching above your weight, you know, like Maryland to get to that game was impressive. Um, it would have been yeah. a true upset for them to win that game. And it would be for UCLA as well. I think, especially given all their injuries, but they can make life very difficult based on their style of play. Well, let's get to the main event here. Unless there's anything else about next weekend that in terms of a matchup we really need to cover. I, I, I don't think there is. We can joke around or I guess in some ways be serious that this is a Pac-12 tournament. And, and from a tournament perspective, it fucking is. Like, however, like this is the performance by the Pac-12 has generated a lot of discussion about this conference being undervalued throughout the rest of the season. And I think that that is a point that can absolutely be proven and and kind of reasonably agreed with when you have tournament results like this. What I have trouble with is basically ripping entire conferences because they don't win games in March. And that's what's happened to the PAC 12 in years past. Like it hasn't, even when we get seven teams in, you know, if we don't send five of them to the Sweet 16, people have historically criticized the Pac-12. So let's start with like how, what kind of conclusions we can draw on the negative side. Like let, let's start there. Um, the Big Ten has not, has not performed well, straight up. We, we both know this. Yeah. Everybody knows this. Uh, they have Michigan left and that's it. Yeah. End list. So, like, what do you – okay, we'll start more simple. What do you make of the Big Ten's performance in this tournament? They've struggled in tournament settings. Um, I think part of it is they – It's let, listen, 
let's be clear. I guess we'll, you'll, we'll talk about more of this later, but let me just say like this tournament does not mean the big 10 and the big 12 weren't the two best conferences in basketball. That is why we love the tournament because it is a one game showdown, not a seven game series. It's not the NBA, right? Like you have to go out there and win one game and anyone can win one game on any given day. So this has happened to the big 10 teams a lot. So obviously they're going to be rightfully criticized. Was the league overrated? Yes. Was it still better than every other league in the country? Yes. Do the results in the tournament show that? No, of course they don't. Um, But that's how it goes sometimes. The best team doesn't always win. And that's why we love March Madness. Um, You know, every analytics thing that you could look at would show you how good the Big Ten was throughout the year. Um, Do they beat up each other and are they tired by the end of the season? Who knows? Like, I don't have the answer for why necessarily this happened but it did happen and it can happen um they've struggled to win ncaa championships which i think is really the big like you can make legitimate claims about the conference in that regard like they haven't found a way to get it done in total it doesn't mean the league is bad like that's the thing that annoys me about the narrative now is like it's not it's not that the big 10 wasn't as good as we thought which is clearly true it's that the big 10 is actually bad which is not correct not factual. Like you're just saying something inaccurate to make your point look better. And it just makes you look dumb. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to, I want to clarify my position to say that when I watched, I watched a lot of big 10 basketball this year and we talked about a lot of big 10 basketball this year. We, we talked about Michigan. We talked about Ohio state. Right, we talked a little bit about Wisconsin. We talked about Minnesota. We talked about Iowa. We talked about Maryland. Like we we talked about the whole conference throughout the season. And I guess I just have you always have that feeling of well, when we're giving the benefit of the doubt to this one conference, when like you know a top team loses to somebody in the bottom tier, right? And certain conferences you get the benefit of the doubt. Some some conferences you don't. And I have felt more comfortable doing that this year because I watched the games. I watched Minnesota and what I saw was a wildly inconsistent team. Sure. A team that obviously like didn't do enough to make the tournament, but like when they were on their game, they were really difficult to play a really high level guard and Marcus Carr, some, you know, when healthy, some real length and athleticism in the paint, like those guys can give you trouble. And when I watch similar teams in other conferences, let's say, let's throw out Washington State in the Pac-12. I think there's a decent one-to-one example here. Washington State, well coached. And they've got some guys who can do some things. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I didn't see the same level of competency in a team like Washington State or TCU compared to Minnesota. And so, and maybe that's a bias because of what we hear and and all that, but like, that's why I'm comfortable to say that. Like, I don't even know if the, I don't know if I would say that the big 10 was quote unquote overrated because I truly do believe that at the top of that conference between Iowa, between Michigan, 
between Illinois and between Ohio State, their four teams at the top were better than the top four teams in any other conference. Like, I really believe that. So do I, yeah. And when you go to that next tier, when you have Michigan State, when you have Maryland, when you have Wisconsin, when you have, uh, you know, fuck, like even just those three, like even just those three, like what, what conference has a better top seven? Like if you watch the games. And so I think that they drew some really difficult matchups, obviously. Uh, UCLA is an incredibly difficult matchup for Michigan State because they both play somewhat similar styles. And that game could have largely gone either way. If you, if you zoom back out, to me, the issue with the Big Ten is that they have a lot of really, really talented teams. Like, they, they all know how to play basketball. Very skilled conference, um, even their bigs. Like, everybody has skills. But when you start to look at them compared to the rest of the country, they have a clear disadvantage from an athleticism standpoint, often. I mean, you, you can just look at how many Big Ten players are in the NBA as well and see where this is coming from. Like, you can talk a lot of shit about the Pac-12. They have a lot of players playing at the next level. Okay, so you get these guys into a tournament setting and they have NBA quality wings and guards, maybe the rest of the team, maybe the depth isn't as talented in the Pac-12, like on each individual team, which I think is true. But on any given night, you're playing a team that's more athletic than you. And the big uh, the Pac-12 typically doesn't have as many bigs in general. Right. Um, It's a smaller conference. There are there are some big guys. But even like the big guys, like Evan Mobley, right, is a is a big that is going to translate to the NBA well, does a lot of things well. The Big Ten doesn't have those players. Luca Garza is a big, right, like a phenomenal college player, a very tough guard, but he will be lucky to play val- valuable minutes in the NBA because of what his game and his athletic ability does for him. That's my biggest thing with the Big Ten is that you see like you put them in these tournament settings, there is more skill on those guys. But if you can't get around a bigger, faster, stronger player consistently, you're going to lose a game somewhere in the tournament. Like if you're consistently playing teams that have more athleticism than you, when you're trying to make it through the NCAA tournament, you're going to drop one. That's kind of what I see. And so you could say, yeah, the league is overrated or underrated still. I mean, listen, the analytics prove it out. One game does not erase the 30 game results that you have seen from this season. Like, Yes, the Big Ten has one team left. That's disappointing and, frankly, highly shocking. It doesn't mean the league is bad. It just means it performed badly in a small sample size. And guess what? Every team in the country did that at some point this year. It just happened to come together at a really shitty time for the conference. And I think that is actually best exemplified by the Big 12. In particular, a couple of games, one of which is Oregon State, Oklahoma State. If those teams played a best of three series, right? So that so if Oklahoma State had to come back tonight and beat uh, Oregon State just to survive and, and you know play another game, like is Avery Anderson spazzing out for fifteen minutes in that second game? Like is he allowed to do that with a night of prep going into another game? Like do they find a way to penetrate Oregon State's zone a little bit better? you know, with Cade Cunningham, like those are the things that to me, I, I thought Oregon's or Oklahoma State's game plan was awful. I thought their execution was awful. 
they made no real adjustments of note. Like once they, their only adjustment they could make was to turn up the full court pressure, which, okay, great. But like, you can't do that for 20 minutes. Yeah, You just so we, can't. We talked about this on, I forget which pot it was, the one with Kevin probably, um, where Oklahoma State, I was like, they are in danger. They have one player that's capable of winning you a basketball game. And if he doesn't ball the fuck out, and no one else on the team steps up, they're going to be in trouble. And that's, you know, Oregon State doesn't have a ton of talent. They obviously, they were seated where they were in the Pac-12 tournament for a reason. Like, they're hot, extremely hot right now. Like, some things you just can't quantify. Like, the things they're doing, they're making shots that they haven't made all year. It's just that simple. But what they do have is a lot of different guys that can hurt you. And when you have confidence and you're on a run, that is, exacerbate you know like it just accentuates i guess is the word i'm looking for the issue like you you have seven confident guys not just kate cunningham that you have to worry about and that's how you get yourself into these situations the other couple matchups that i think really speak to this point are texas tech arkansas like texas tech was a referee's whistle away from tying that game at the line yeah like that's how close that was and they they probably could have gotten I'm not unhappy with the fact that they didn't. I thought it was reasonable that those fouls weren't called, but we see those calls all the time at this level. Like they were two points away from beating what is, I think likely to be an elite eight team and somebody that will give Villanova or Baylor absolute hell in the elite eight. Yeah. Arkansas is going to give everyone trouble because again, very athletic, probably a lottery pick bunch of different guys who can hurt you shoot the ball you know like their whole team is six seven six eight yeah. it's the same the same formula we've seen from a lot of these teams um yeah i mean and this all goes well i'll circle back a little bit here like very clearly the pac-12 was underrated all year like we made that comment many times throughout the season no one on earth would have said that this was the best conference in the country and if you did say that, you're wrong. I don't right. care that there's four teams left in the Pac-12 left in the tournament more than any other conference. Like, that's why they play the games, you know? Vegas, they put out a number. We weren't favored to win a lot of these games. The Pac-12 found a way to get it done. Like, you have, you have, if they put it on paper, it would be a lot more boring. you got to actually go out there and ball. Um, and we'll see how it ends up. But what this shows is that the Pac-12 has a lot better teams than they were given credit for. But let's also not forget the fact that they were horrible in non-conference play. I mean, they, yeah. they missed every single opportunity they had to put big wins on the table. Their metrics were worse than other leagues, and that matters too. Like, you, the, the results are there. Like, you can see how these teams performed against like teams throughout the country, right? Pat Boyle speaks you about that a lot. And, and also, the Pac-12 had two of the worst teams in the whole country. Like, that matters too. Like, two of the worst high major basketball teams in the country are in the Pac-12. Cannot be denied. Tom Boyle talks about that a lot where he says the best way to get respect actually is in the non-conference. Like tournament is what it is. But, and I tweeted this out when Oregon state won, they lost to Portland and Wyoming in the non-conference. And, you know, obviously they figured something out once they got to conference play because they really competed well with the top of the table, but like that shit matters. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I tend to think that's one of the issues with college basketball in general, because the non-conference is such a small portion of your season. And it's so early in your season 
Like none of these teams are what they're going to be come tournament time. Like you're creating a bias based on what they looked like in their third game during a COVID season, no less. Let's be reminded. And not how they've played down the stretch of the season. And that's not to say that games at the end are more important. But what I would do think is that more non-conference games need to be played down the stretch of the season in congruence with the conference games. Like throwing some of those big matchups from November into March, early March or in February would be much better off for the league because the Pac-12, A, would fare far better in those games as they're getting more comfortable. And two, the thing that I think the country misses the most is that the Pac-12 always looks worse in the non-conference because everyone is a fucking afraid to come out here. The Pac-12 plays more non-conference road and neutral games than any other high major league because no one wants to travel to those schools to play. That's just a reality. Like if you continue to travel to other high major programs, you're going to get beat more often than not. And that's the biggest problem. Well, and then if you have schools that, I mean, there's a lot that goes into scheduling, right? From budget concerns to stacking your schedule with metrics, et cetera. But like, we are the only high major conference west of the Mississippi. Right. Whereas on the other side, I mean, obviously, okay, some of the schools are technically west of the Mississippi. I I, I get that, folks. But <laughs> like, like, nonetheless, if you're the Big 12, you have these natural geographic opponents with the Big 10, with the SEC. Uh, and then, I mean, even with the ACC sometimes, um, given West Virginia. But that's the thing is that it, there's a lot that goes into scheduling and the Pac-12 doesn't get the kind of games that everybody else does. I, I don't know that I would agree that we overvalue them because – at the end of the day, like both teams are in the same place. Both teams are early on in their season. Nobody is who they are going to be quite yet. Like, like Oregon State has no excuse to lose to Wyoming and Portland. And I think the, the main problem is the narrative that fans and, and media use on teams. Because here, here's the reality. We know that and, and it's reasonable that March Madness games carry more weight than everybody else. Because if you are in the tournament, then you are playing for a national title. I, I don't want to diminish that. But like, look, <laughs> I tweeted this out on, uh, what was it? Saturday night or something. Maybe it was Sunday night. I don't remember. How like, I was going to be super annoyed if Oregon State won. Because people were going to talk about the job that Tinkle did and be pissed that other Pac-12 coaches maybe didn't get there. When, like, I understand, man. Like, they have a Sweet 16 and a Pac-12 title. That is fucking legit. That's an awesome season. That is an unbelievably good year. Mm-hmm. They, they also have these losses. And I just think that when we look at programs, when we kind of judge seasons, we have to be a little bit more holistic when we do it. Because outside of a very few number of teams, like this is the profile that a lot of people have. You have bad losses, then you have some amazing wins. Colorado is a great example. Brutal losses, but they made the Pac-12 final and finished third in the conference, won 23 games in a shortened season and made the second round of the NCAA tournament. Like that, that is a successful season, but because they don't really have that non-conference marquee win. 
they didn't make the Sweet 16, they didn't win their tournament. Like, there's nothing, quote-unquote, to hang your hat on. And I just think that as we analyze teams, whether it's for seeding, whether it's for respect, whether it's to judge a year, figuring out a more, I think, appropriate balance of non-conference, conference, and single elimination games has to be reached. I don't know the answer of how to get there, Yeah, but I think we have to figure out a way. I mean, it's, you know, it's what have you done for me lately, right? Well, I start to get frustrated when, like, there was someone on Bus Stampede, I was reading it this morning, that said, we played in the toughest conference in America. We being Colorado. Like, no, man. Just fucking no. That's not true. Just because we have more teams <laughs> left in the NCAA tournament than any other conference does not make that true. Okay? What has happened to the Pac-12 in the NCAA tournament is a storyline because it is surprising to even the people in the programs and to the people that are covering this league. Like Oregon State being in the Sweet 16 is a surprise. I don't care what you say. Sorry. It just is. Okay? That is an upset. Okay? That they are there. The Pac-12 is better than they got than they were given credit for. 100%. That is not the same thing as saying it is now all of a sudden the best basketball conference in the country. Okay? Let's not get ridiculous here. Well, I think that at the end of the day, what I would like to see is that, I mean, the Pac-12 has a lot of, a long ways to go to improve their reputation overall. Like this, this is a great year and that's fantastic. They, they have a chance to have some, a couple elite teams next year. Um, But the TV deal is still an issue. There will always be a naturally built-in time zone lack of exposure, even with a great TV deal. Like, unless the tip-off times drastically changed, like th- this is going to be a thing moving forward, and it kind of is what it is in certain respects. Uh, what I guess, like, what do you think really is like the one thing that would make the biggest difference? The TV deal has to change to get them on more, you know, national syndicate television, um, and. I'm, they're going to play a lot of late night games during the week for obvious reasons, right? Like that makes sense. I get that. But you have to find a way to get into those afternoon time slots on the weekend. You have to yeah. get USC and Stanford and UCLA and Oregon and Arizona and Colorado in those one to 5 PM windows on Saturday, because let's be honest, like, sure. You're on national TV on Saturday night, but no one on the East coast is watching Colorado versus Oregon state at 11 PM in New York city, except for you. Right. Like that's just a reality. Like being on ESPN only has its benefits. If people are watching and, you know, we crush people for not watching the PAC 12 often and not having a correct perception of the league. And that's true. But at the same time, the PAC 12 makes it very difficult for people to do that. Like they shouldn't have to go out of their way to be knowledgeable about a conference 3000 miles away. That's probably also fair to say. The other thing that I was going to say is I'd like to see the bottom of the conference just try to schedule like the toughest fucking schedules that they can straight up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like even if, even if you have to do some two for ones, like guess what, Washington, you're no, you're no longer Washington as long as Mike Hopkins is there. So like, if you have to do some two for ones or Cal Washington state, if you have to do some two for ones in big 12 country, ACC country, whatever it is, because you're probably not going to get get those high level uh, showcase tournament of invites quite yet. 
Yeah. Like find a way to do it. Cause if you beat them at home that one time you've raised your profile. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd like to see is there needs to be a little bit more of a, I, this gets into a shady territory, but I'm going to say it anyways. There has to be a requirement for high major programs and probably low major programs too, to travel during the non-conference. Like, I think they're, you know, it doesn't have to be an outrageous number. Just say like, you have to play three true road games against other high major opponents. And are most of those teams going to do it against teams on the East coast? Yes, of course. But eventually the numbers are going to force you to come out West. And so I think that would be important. I also think you're right. I think two for ones are a thing the league is going to have to do uh, because people don't want to come out here and lose a game to what they describe as an average opponent, right? Like someone will go travel to Oregon or Arizona because they're viewed as an elite program. It's not really going to hurt your resume, like whatever. All the other teams in the Pac-12, why am I going to go to Colorado, for an example, and lose to a team that never loses at home, basically, when it hurts my profile, when I can go out east to travel, you know, a thousand less miles and have a much better shot to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. All right, anything else? Nope. Just happy the hoops is back, man. All right, y'all. Well, enjoy the Sweet 16, and we will see you next week. The Pac-12 going to get four teams in the Final Four? Ooh. Just kidding. It's um, not possible. No, obviously. <laughs> uh, considering one of them is automatically going to be eliminated this round. I mean, if I had to say which one has the best shot to get there, I would pick probably UCLA. Ooh. I mean that no, but none of them have a good run straight up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I tend to agree. I mean, Oregon and U and USC are the two best available teams, but of course, you either have to beat Gonzaga yourself or hoard, or hope they beat get beat along the way. Yeah, the odds of that are you know pretty minimal. Who, I would say. Who Who do you think matches up with Gonzaga better? USC, hundred percent. Yeah, I think star power. Yeah, um, I, I I go with Oregon. They're more yeah. multiple than USC is, and I think that's what you kind of need against Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I just think they're not they're 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 like Gonzaga light. I think I said that on a podcast recently. <laughs> yeah. um, they don't have a real advantage anywhere. USC has one advantage, so I think that's where I would see it. You know, like you're totally right. Like Oregon being multiple matters. It just feels like. They're multiple in a way that the game could maybe be uncomfortable, but I don't really see an outcome where they could win. Yeah. I don't really see an outcome that a like this is still Gonzaga's tournament. Oh yeah. And it's shaped sure. up even more so that way. I just God damn it, I I can handle upsets. Give me Baylor Gonzaga in the finals. Give them to me in the championship game, please, God. Yeah. I'd really love it. to see Gonzaga Alabama in the final four too. Because, first of all, those are the three. We, I have all three of those teams in my Final Four, so selfishly I would like that. But I do think Gonzaga-Alabama honestly would be the best matchup of the tournament. Yeah, I think that's the scariest game for Gonzaga, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. All right, guys. We'll see you next week to talk about – holy shit, next week we'll be able to talk about the Final Four. Yeah, man. Happens quick. We're almost there. See you guys then. All right, later.